All right, let's take our Bibles now and open them to Luke chapter 11 as we return to our study this morning. Luke chapter 11, last Lord's Day we began a section of Luke's gospel where Jesus Christ is once again doing another miracle. He is graciously over time showing the people exactly who he is. He is what he has proclaimed. He is the truth of God personified. He is the one who has the power over life and death. He has healed the sick. He has calmed the storm. He has fed the masses. He has raised the dead. And as we just saw in Luke chapter 11, even demons are subject to him. (laughs) Cannot be mistaken that he is from God, even if someone was still unsure about his claims of being God in the flesh. Now, all the way through the Gospel of Luke, it cannot be mistaken that this one who, even if you denied his deity, which would be blasphemous, and yet you cannot deny that he is from God. And of course, even though Jesus had done all of these things, he continually is facing opposition. The heart of man, the hardness of the heart, goes directly there when it is unwilling to submit itself to the holy authority, God himself, It always opposes it, and this is what you see happening with Jesus Christ, even God in the flesh. And that came normally, and at least in the beginning, from the religious leaders of the Jews. Why did they challenge him so much? Sometimes we ask ourselves that question in our own minds, and the only answer is, is it because Jesus was continually pointing out that they're man-made traditions, their religious ideas about what it meant to have a relationship with God was false. Didn't actually accomplish what they thought it was accomplishing or what they had taught to others. Jesus is uncovering their true condition. He's exposing their religious hypocrisy. He's continually showing them that contrary to what they thought, God was not pleased with them. And they, as the leaders of Israel, are leading those who are following them straight to eternal hell. And so, of course, you could well imagine they wanted to get rid of Jesus. In fact, in the geographic or geological timeline, if you will, of Luke, that will happen in short order. Jesus will be hanging on the cross at the hands of the wickedness of men's hearts. They want to get rid of him. And so at every turn up to this point, they are trying to undermine his ministry. They're trying to call him into question as to who he is and what he is doing. They tried to cause doubt in the people about him. And so just as we saw last Lord's Day when we were here in Luke chapter 11, they accuse him of being in league with Satan. 
You're just doing what you do by Satan. Jesus, you cast out demons, and this mute man that you have cast this demon out, our conclusion is simply that you're in cahoots with Satan himself. Verse 15 is clear that. Some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Others were not so direct in their rejection. So they just demand for a sign. Give us more. Show us more. Of course, casting out a demon should have been enough. They had seen all the other things that he has done, but that kind of reality is never enough when you already think that you have the spiritual sight to see, and you don't. And that's really the issue here. The issue here in our text this morning, implied in their request with for a sign, is the idea that Jesus isn't doing enough to convince them. Kind of a Interesting way to blame God, isn't it? God, I would believe you if you just would show me enough. You ever hear somebody say that? Well, I would believe God if he'd do something right now. I'll believe you, God, if you fix my life. I'll believe you if you create something out of nothing. They say that all the while they're looking in the mirror at something that was created from nothing. The reason that they are thinking about him like that is not because he has a problem, it's because they have a problem. But they're saying it isn't their problem, they're saying it's Jesus' problem. He just hasn't done enough for us. He hasn't done enough to prove himself. That is simply to say, in another way, Jesus, you say we are missing it. You say we just are rejecting you, but reality, you need to help us by giving us more. Give us more. Give us more light so that we can see it. You would give us a sign, and we would see the truth about who you really are. In other words, us not seeing is not the problem. As you say, you are the problem. <laughs> Give us more light and we'll see. Implicationally, it's interesting because they are saying that if you give us the sign that we want, then that will be proof that you are working with God and not with Satan. Some were just simply saying he casts out demons by Beelzebub, but others were saying we need more signs. We need you to do what we want you to do. The answer that Jesus gives is, is profound and convicting if we will just hear it. Why? Because the problem here is not the amount of light shining. The problem here is the inability to see it. Let me read our text for us this morning, beginning in verse 29 down through verse 36. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. 
For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket. They put it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. And watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined. And when the lamp illumines you with and as when the lamp illumines you with its rays. In the previous verses, Jesus gives a profound answer to their accusation that he's in concert with Satan. He says, if I cast out demons by Satan, then Satan's house is divided. No house can stand this divided. But if I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And now here is Jesus answering really the second request, the request for a sign. It's a hard-hearted request, just like the first one was a hard-hearted response to what Jesus was doing. They're saying, show us some more. Give us some more light. And in giving his answer, Jesus makes a declaration, number one. Two, he gives an illustration. Three, he draws an implication. And fourthly, he provides the conclusion. This is his answer. A declaration, an illustration, an implication, and the conclusion. Nothing proves the point more clearly, the wickedness of man's heart and rejection of Jesus than when Jesus himself has so clearly and so vividly and so continually shown who he is. There has been light shining all over the place, and in spite of it, they reject him anyway. Nothing more clear about the human heart and its wickedness than that. Nothing has been more upfront and in your face with all of the people than what Jesus has already done and what he has already said, and yet they do not believe. In fact, just listen for a moment to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel in John chapter 1. Just listen to what John says about Jesus and him coming into the world. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now right there, just in those few short 
first verses, you have the eternality of Jesus Christ, and you have the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been from the very beginning, and He has created all things. And in Him, verse 4, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So what did God do? God graciously sends prophets ahead of him to prepare the way. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to testify about what? About the light. So that all might believe. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. You see that? The light enlightens every man. The light, in other words, shines upon all. Jesus is the light. All that he is, what he says, what he does, is the shining light of the good news of the gospel by which man can be saved. There is no other light needed. There is no other light that is necessary. He is enough. And so therefore, to reject him is to reject the light, and that is the height of wickedness. And so Luke chapter 11 says that the crowds were increasing, and he begins to say, and he makes this declaration, this generation is a wicked generation. And then he gives the reason why that wickedness is so prevalent, and it shows itself in this reality. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now picture the scene. Picture the scene. It appears as if the popularity of Jesus is growing. In modern-day evangelicalism, this would have been a sign of success. People are coming. People are flocking. People are wanting to somehow see. The crowds are increasing to see the spectacle of Jesus. This is the definition of ministry success, it seems, in our foolish day. Crowds increasing. But instead of hearing Jesus say, hey, this is great. I got all these people coming. Everybody have a seat. We want to be comfortable. Make sure you find a comfortable place to sit. Instead of that, Jesus doesn't say that. He declares the reality of their hearts. Jesus knows what's going on. And so he says, this generation is a wicked generation. Now that is a church growth movement that isn't happening today. That strategy for church growth just won't be preached in the church. It should be, but it won't. First message out of his mouth as the crowds are coming, you're wicked people. Pastor, why are you so mean? This generation is a wicked generation. Why? Because it's constantly saying we don't have enough to believe. 
He's constantly saying to Jesus, listen, give us more. We, we're already in relationship with God without you. We cannot miss the weight of this, beloved, because this is judgment. This is a judgment on all who willfully reject the one who is the light of the world. Jesus ignores their request. He ignores their general question for a sign and makes a public pronouncement. This generation as a whole is wicked. In other words, the outward act of accusing Jesus that he was in concert with Satan was only symptomatic of a greater problem. The entire generation had refused to see the light. Jesus had just said, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And yet, they knew nothing of that blessing. They knew nothing of what that meant in a life, in hearing the word of God in their own ears, and the blessing that comes with obedience to the word of God. If they had, they would not so easily have brushed off the acts of Jesus and the words of Jesus and what he did and said to him, listen, we'll believe if you show us more. So here's this crowd waiting, obstinately requesting that Jesus show them a sign to finally prove who he is. Yet the whole thing is just a display of the wickedness of the heart of man. You hear of Jesus Christ, you hear of the gospel, you open your Bibles, you read the Word of God, and you walk away without obedience to the Word of God. All you're saying to Jesus is, show me more. Show me more. They ask for a sign. We need to realize something here. Jesus isn't talking to rank pagans. Do you realize that? Jesus is not talking to people with no religious underpinnings in their life. He's not talking to unchurched Harry and unchurched Mary that wanders the streets and have never had any interaction with anybody from a church or anybody in a church. They've never been into a church. He's not talking to that kind of person. He isn't talking to the pagans of Gentile cities who worshiped idols. He's talking to those who are religious. These are the moral people, the ones who attended the times in the synagogues when the, when the Old Testament law was read. These are the ones who heard the Scriptures over and over again. These are the people who have a God consciousness and who are living out what is the Mosaic law. That's who he's talking to. They are people going to their religious activities, going through their religious lives diligently. But even though they have this outward religious appearance, even though they say they can see, inwardly they are darkness. Inwardly they are blind. They are wicked by God's definition. Beloved, I want to warn us here today 
that that's the most dangerous state to be in. There is no state of the human heart more dangerous than that. To be confident in your self-righteousness, to believe that because of your own morality, you are right with God. That is the most dangerous spiritual place than to be even outwardly immoral altogether. You say, why? Because the light shines in the darkness. But if the darkness thinks it's light, then it rejects the actual light. If darkness believes it's light, then the actual light has no shining property upon it. But what they want will not be given to them. They want a sign. Verse 29 and 30 says they asked for that. They've asked for it in verse 16. Jesus is saying they always want a sign. One's not going to be given to it. In fact, that would be impossible for God to do it. Really? Possible? Yeah. Why? Because to do so would be to discredit everything he already did. It would be to undermine everything that Jesus is and what Jesus has done. God isn't going to be tempted by the wicked desires of man's blind heart. So before anyone could say, see, I told you he wouldn't give a sign. I told you he wouldn't do that. Why? Because he's in league with Satan. Before anybody could even utter those words out of their mouths, Jesus says, but the sign of Jonah. You're not going to get a sign. No sign will be given it, but the sign of Jonah. In other words, you'll get one final answer. One more light show. We don't get the details here in Luke's gospel, but we do in the other gospels. In fact, here, Here's what it says in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 and 40. An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You see, that's the whole context. That's the whole idea that Jesus is saying here, the point that he's highlighting is not the preaching of Jonah, that Jonah was sent to preach to the people of Nineveh. No, that's not what he's talking about. All he says is that Jonah himself became a sign to the Ninevites. And so too, the Son of Man will be a sign to this generation. Read some commentators, they like to say, well, it's preaching of Jonah that was a sign. No, if preaching was the sign, then any prophet could have been that one. A lot of prophets went and preached. But when Jonah was swallowed by the fish and returned to the earth in order to preach, that was the sign that he was from God. The Ninevites were a pagan culture. They wouldn't have ever believed anything some Jew would have said to them. And yet here is Jonah, a Jew, coming and 
by God's sovereign mercy and grace, they believed the story of Jonah. Hey, listen, guys, before I tell you anything about God, i got to tell you about the God whom now I serve because I repented because I was three days in a fish. I spent three days in that fish. I was as good as gone, and God heard my prayer and listened to my prayer and puked me up on the beach, and here I am to tell you about God. God in His grace allowed them to hear that. It was the sign of His miraculous saving from certain death that convinced the Ninevites that they should listen to Jonah and believe that he was from God. So they listened to his preaching and many repented of their sin and turned to God. This is the sign that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says this is the sign to this generation. Son of Man will be the same. The final and greatest sign in that day and in our day is just that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being brought back from the death. And sadly, just like then, just like Jesus is speaking now, then, just like that today, all unbelief rejects the light that shines. Prove it, they say. Prove it. That very message is going to become much more direct when Jesus gets a little closer in chapter 16. Jesus talking to the rich man, using it as a as an illustration to the Pharisees who were lovers of everything they had and yet were humble for nothing. Jesus gives this illustration of the rich man and Lazarus. And of course, the rich man dies and he's in Hades and he says, I have five brothers. I need somebody to warn them. Send somebody back. Send someone to my father's house. Send some from, from the dead to go back so that they will not also, verse 28 of chapter 16, come to this place of torment. Abraham says, no. Why? They have the word of God. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him. Let them hear those. They have the word of God. They have the light shining. Let them hear Moses and the prophets. He said, no, no, no. If someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He says, no. If they don't listen to the word of God, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, guess what? They will not be persuaded even. If someone rises from the dead. This is exactly what we see today in the rejection of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with the light shining. They have plenty of light. They have all from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. There is plenty of light. There is plenty of proof about Jesus Christ. The reason you reject has nothing to do with the light. It has everything to do with your blindness. The resurrection is true. It happened. Jesus is who He said He is. God has proven it more than enough. But if you refuse to believe the light that you already have, you refuse to, be to believe what the Scriptures declare, then it doesn't matter what light shines, you won't believe it. It doesn't matter. And so from that profound declaration Jesus gives an illustration 
verses 31 and 32, the queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater or someone greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. It's a twofold illustration, not really profound in many ways from a human perspective. It makes total sense. But it certainly exposes the wickedness of man's heart to reject. Notice Luke doesn't name the queen here, he just says the queen of the south or the queen of Sheba, some of your translations might say. We know who that is. Why? Because the story is recorded for us in the Old Testament. 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. It's the queen of Sheba. Sheba was the area south of in southwest Arabia. Today we know it as Yemen. Today they're launching missiles at places. This is where she was from. And the point that Jesus is making is that here is this pagan Gentile. Here is this woman on top of all the reality that she's a Gentile and a pagan who through no minor expense to her nation traveled, if you read it in 1 Kings, she travels a great distance because she has heard of the wisdom of Solomon. And, and while she wants to hear Solomon's wisdom, what she really is after is how Solomon got that wisdom. She wants to know the God whom gave it to Solomon. And surely Solomon would have told her. You say, how do you know that? Because Solomon wrote the Proverbs, and Proverbs says the beginning of wisdom is the what? Fear of the Lord. Surely Solomon would have said, you want the wisdom I have, then you have to fear the Lord. Here's who he is. I don't know one way or another or not, but this text surely says that she will stand up at the judgment and condemn them, which seems to indicate that she probably believed in God unto a salvific way. The only way that would have happened is through the preaching of Solomon whom she went to see and the God who gave him that wisdom. And here's Jesus' point. This Gentile woman travels a vast distance to hear that wisdom while the wisdom of God personified is right in front of you and you won't listen. In other words, this pagan who had no knowledge of God came to hear of God, and you, you have God at your fingertips, and yet you reject Him. Someone far greater than Solomon is here. And then he says in verse 32, in like fashion, the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh who knew nothing of the law of God, yet another pagan city, they heard of him through the preaching of the prophet who was sent by God, who through the miraculous resurrection, if you will, out of the belly of the fish, testified to that resurrection by his own life. They repented and believed. 
Jesus says, but you're a wicked generation, you Jews who had the very words of God from all of the prophets, and Jesus in your very midst, you refuse to believe. You ask for another sign. Give us more light. Beloved, we need to mark this down. We need to mark this down in our hearts, mark it down in the sides of our scriptures, whatever we have to do, while the resurrection is the crowning grace to which every true believer holds, that same resurrection will be the judgment upon those who reject. The very reality that Jesus is alive, the resurrection of all of those who believe in Him unto eternal life will be the very judgment for all eternity upon those who have rejected. So Jesus makes the declaration, you're wicked. He gives an illustration as to the foolishness, the utter foolishness to even ask for more. Number three, he lays out the implication. Notice it here, verse 33 and 34. No one after lighting a lamp, puts it away in a cellar nor under a basket, but on the lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Jesus draws the implication. Giving the reason for such judgment. Failing to understand and follow the truth of the gospel is the reason unbelieving sinners will face eternal judgment. You refuse. You reject. Jesus is saying, it is foolish for you to think that I've held something back. Asking me for a sign, saying you haven't proved it to us enough, we need more, that is the grandest of foolishness in statements. No one does that. No one who wants people to know the truth, to hear the truth, no one who wants others to see the light would dare light a light and hide it. Jesus says, no one after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar. No one puts it under a basket. No, they put it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. So that's what's been done. You have the light shining like the bright lamp on a lampstand. And so failing to embrace the truth is to reject the truth. In other words, failing to desire and embrace the light is actually to desire and embrace darkness. In fact, isn't this exactly what John chapter 3 says? What is John chapter 3? Jesus, of course, talking to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel. Jesus has just said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus is amazed at that, thinking that he's talking in a spirit in a physical sense, and he's talking about the spiritual reality of your heart being made new. Nicodemus in verse 9, how can this be? 
Jesus said, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of that which we know and testify of what we have seen, and you don't accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how are you going to believe if I tell you heavenly things? Here's the reality, Nicodemus. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven. Who's that? The Son of Man. Here's the light. The light's been shining. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. You see, whoever looks in and, and acknowledges the light. Why? Because God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Why is that principle true? Because God didn't send His Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. So he who believes in Him isn't judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. You see, you say, well, I can wait. It's good. No problem. No, listen, judgment's upon you already for not believing. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You say, well, what's the judgment? This is the judgment, verse 19, that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They have plenty of light. The light's been shining. It's a lamp shining. It's, it's on the table shining brightly like Jesus says. No one who lights the lamp puts it and hides it. It's not hidden. You're trying to tell me that you want more sign, more light because I'm somehow hiding the light? That's foolishness. No one does that. Certainly God hasn't done it. Light is the metaphor for understanding the truth. Light reveals things. It uncovers things. But darkness hides it. It's clear in John chapter 3. And so failing to embrace the truth is to reject the truth. In other words, there is no middle ground. There's no neutral zone. We've said that before. You fail to embrace the truth... It's not that, well, I'll wait some day. I'm in this middle zone. No, there isn't. There's only one or the other. You are with me or you're against me, as Jesus said. There is no middle ground. It's pointless for Jesus to hide the truth. Why? Since he came to have people see the truth. Jesus is the light. In him there is no darkness at all. And so the issue is not that we need more light. The issue is that we need new sight. Verse 34, the eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is clear, your whole body is also full of light. But when it's bad, your body also is full of darkness. The issue is the eye. Spiritual light isn't the problem. Spiritual sight is... Each and every one of us here has an abundance of light. We, we live in a generation where light is abundant upon everybody. Why? Because we all have the Word of God. I mean, you can go to Walmart and buy a Bible. 
Every person here can access the scriptures so quickly on their phones and computers. We have the word of God that speaks of the living word from God. The one who is light is shining brightly. But when our when our eyes are dark, can't see the light. Your eyes are bad, bad. The word paneros, it's it's really the root word for wickedness, general wickedness at large, and specific witness wickedness in every kind of way. It's really the root word for pornography. Just bad. Wickedness all over the place. But it's describing spiritual eyes that are clouded, damaged, if you will, by sin. You say, why? Why is it that way? Why is it spiritual eyes, blind eyes that cannot see the light? Well, it's because of their sinful blindness. You say, why? Well, Jesus provides a conclusion here. He provides a conclusion. Notice what he says in verse 35 and 36. Then watch out. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If your whole body is full of light, with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illumined. As when the lamp illumines you with its rays. Jesus knows the sinful heart so well. He knows that it will deny that it's blind. Every sinful heart says, I'm okay. I'm okay. And so Jesus says, out of grace, watch out. Remember, he's talking to religious people. He's talking to those who have asked him for a sign, those who have accused him of casting out demons by the prince of demons. Watch out, people. Watch out. Pay attention. Examine yourself. Because the danger is that what you think is light in you could be darkness. Watch out that the light in you, what you say in you in relationship to God, is only the product of your own activities, your own work. You say you're in the light, but you're actually in darkness. Be careful. Your self-righteousness is self-deceptive. You say that you are in the light, but actually you're in the darkness. You're saying, so true. So true. Think about it. Think about it in your own Christian life when you're dealing with people who are religious people, whether they're in your family or otherwise. The hardest people to reach with the gospel, the hardest people to share the gospel with are those who are self-righteous people. Those people who are claiming a, a relationship with God that's based upon their own efforts rather than upon Christ alone. Watch out. I mean, this is what we ought to be saying to everyone who's in a false religion. Watch out. Watch out that the light you say you have isn't darkness. Notice the other side. For those willing to turn from themselves, for those who are 
willing to repent and leave their sin behind for those willing to embrace the true light then that true light shines in them and gives them actual clarity about spiritual life if therefore your whole body is full of light no dark part in it it'll be wholly illumined in other words, you'll understand, and you'll understand not just what is spiritually sound truth, you'll understand from that spiritually sound truth how to diagnose your own heart. Because you'll be wholly illumined, and the light, as the light that's on the table illumines with its rays, you'll be able to see it clearly. In other words... Man's wisdom might bring outward reformation. That kind of stuff might bring some kind of outward cleaning up of your life. And the deception that you are of the light through your outward reformation, but Jesus leaves us no dark part. With Jesus, it's total regeneration. It's transformation. He regenerates us and we are filled with His light. Like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says that He calls us out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're called out of darkness. That means that true Christians walk in the light. We walk in the light. Why? Because we are children of the light. That is simply to say that the mouth does not confess Jesus while the hands habitually disobey Jesus. If we're going to confess Jesus, then our lives ought to reflect a desire to habitually obey Jesus. So Jesus here is simply saying this, watch out. Watch out when light is actually darkness, there is only deception and coming judgment. That's what he's saying to the Pharisees. Watch out. The brightest of lights is right here, and you just keep saying, give us more. We'll believe when you give us a little more. Jesus saying, watch out. You think you have a relationship, and yet your lives are full of darkness. It's rather surprising, isn't it, that Jesus would hear these words from the Pharisees after that kind of message? Now, when he had spoken, Verse 37, a Pharisee asked him to have lunch with him. And he went in and reclined. And when the Pharisees saw it, he was surprised that he had not first ceremonially washed before the meal. There's the outward righteousness. Ah, now we're going to accuse him again. The Pharisees were insulted in what Jesus is about to say. And 
Sadducees, who were the lawyers, are insulted also because verse 45 says, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Insult? No, not an insult. Not an insult. It's all grace. Grace. Jesus was exposing their hypocrisy. Why? Because he came to save. Remember, judgment was upon them already because they rejected the light. They loved the darkness. It wasn't because they loved God. They loved the darkness. They loved their wickedness, and so they reject Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is not to be us. We are those who profess Jesus Christ. We are those who claim to know Him as our Savior, and we do. And therefore, what our mouths confess, our hands must follow in obedience. And so I guess that's the exhortation to us this morning. As we see this and hear this, are we obeying? This is what Jesus said in verse 28. On the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So are we hearing it, number one, and number two, observing it, doing it? If that is not our heart, if that is not our drive, then maybe we need to do some self-examination under the words of Jesus Christ and watch out that the light in us is not darkness. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this morning. Just this wonderful look into your word and how it penetrates our heart. Lord, certainly we know this side of glory, even with the Holy Spirit in us, we fail so often. We foolishly follow after our own flesh and the desires of our flesh rather than Follow you, Spirit. Lord, we know your word is true. We know it is right. We know you are the light. Lord, help us to be so filled with you and your light that it exudes from us. It shines out from us in every way. And in those times we disobey, may we quickly run to you. Not because we love darkness, but because we want to have it exposed that we might turn from it. Thank you for your grace and mercy and love that you would say the hard things to us because you care so much for us. Lord, I pray we're like Theophilus who, as we have heard of these things in the past, now we know with certainty who you are. Help us live that out this day forward. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.